Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and developments of the DC multiverse and the legacy of Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Today we are looking at issue 40 of Green Lantern, which was published on the 26th of August 1965, with a cover date of October 1965. And it's been a busy summer for Alan Scott, the original Golden Age Green Lantern. Yes. He um, guest starred in Showcase 55. He appeared in JLA issues 37 and 38 with the rest of his Justice Society colleagues. And he's now making his first appearance in the pages of Hal Jordan's Green Lantern title. This is a biggie. This is not just for the fact that Alan is teaming up with Hal in the pages of Green Lantern for the first time. Ah. There are elements of this story that will have ramifications for the rest of the time that we're doing the podcast, basically. Absolutely, yes. When we say this is the podcast that looks at the origins and development of the DC multiverse, you're going to get one of those right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a good one. This is basically Legacy of the Golden Age and the development of the multiverse in one comic. (laughs) This is the episode of the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Now, as it's the first Green Lantern Green Lantern team up, we should probably give you some statistics for Alan Scott because it's the first time we really get a chance to focus on him. So, Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern, first appeared in All American Comics issue sixteen, which was published in May nineteen forty, and he was in every issue of that all the way up until issue one hundred and two, which was published in August nineteen forty eight, and it was with issue one hundred three that All American Comics became All American Western. Alan also had his own comic, Green Lantern. It was called, funnily enough, and that was published between September 1941 and March 1949 and ran to 38 issues. And obviously, he was also a member of the Justice Society of America. It was in every issue of All-Star Comics from issue 2 to 7, a cameo appearance in issue 10, and then he was back from issue 24 all the way up until the end of the Justice Society's run. There was a period when he was only an honorary member because the kind of rule that they had was that if a superhero appeared in his own comic, which, as I've just said, Alan did, um, then he couldn't be a member of the JSA. They relaxed that slightly, and he came back, and he was a staple right up until the end. And he was also one of the cover stars, along with The Flash and Wonder Woman, in the first 29 issues of Comic Cavalcade, which were published between December 1942 and August 1948. So All-American and Comic Cavalcade, they bowed out around about the same time, or at least I should say they changed their contents away from superheroes, because as we've said many times, the superhero bubble burst towards the end of the 40s, and you know they were replaced by, oft times, by Western characters or funny animals, which is the case, the case in these titles. So, um, shall we talk about the cover of issue 40? The cover is very exciting. It's a lovely Gil Kane cover, which is always good. Mm. In the background, we have a whole council of the Guardians of the Universe, and in the foreground, we have... Hal Jordan Green Lantern, the Earth One Green Lantern. It looks like he's attacking Alan Scott, the original Golden Age Green Lantern from Earth Two. And one of the Guardians is saying, "Turn in your power rig and uniform, Hal Jordan. Alan Scott is replacing you as the Green Lantern of Earth." And Hal Jordan's saying, "That has been's not cutting me out unless he can beat me in a power ring duel." And Alan is almost recoiling. Alan looks like he's ready to just punch him and tell him to shut up, doesn't he? Yeah, it does actually. Yeah, man of action. <laughs> And the caption at the bottom says, You've clamoured for it, so here it is. A power-packed novel co-starring the original and modern-day Green Lanterns in a fight to the finish. The secret origin of the Guardians. Cool. So, into the comic proper. We have the opening splash with the Green Lantern logo and a little side box saying, co-starring the original Green Lantern in a full-length power-packed novel. 
and the opening splash panel shows Hal Jordan in a pose that's very reminiscent to a lot of Gil Kane covers that he did for Marvel in the 70s. Yes. yes. We'll have to have a look and see if we can find any of them in Create a Gallery. Hal's mm-hmm. been knocked out by a little beam coming from Alan Scott's Green Lantern Power Ring, and Alan is thinking, I hold the trump card in this battle with my rival Green Lantern. I can safeguard myself with this yellow shield from the effects of his power ring, while he has nothing to protect him from the power of my ring. And there's a little assembled bunch of Guardians of the Universe. I almost said Guardians of the Galaxy, and that probably won't be the first yeah. time that I almost say that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, one of the assembled Guardians is thinking, the universe is doomed unless our Hal Jordan Green Lantern can defeat the Alan Scott Green Lantern from another Earth. And we have a big, huge, meaty caption panel which says, Yes, the very existence of our universe itself hung in the balance as two green-clad crusaders, Hal Jordan and Alan Scott, the Green Lantern of Earth 2, and of another bygone era, jeweled with mighty power rings in a titanic battle from which only one could emerge the victor. What lay behind this shocking, startling combat between justice-loving ring wearers? How did it all tie in with a forbidden experiment to solve the riddle of the secret, secret origin of the Guardians? Guardians. At the bottom, we've got a lovely little scroll with the credits for this very issue. It's story by John Broom and art by Gil Kane and Sid Green. Now, John Broom, we've only mentioned him briefly in passing before because mm-hmm. way back in Flash 113, I think it was, uh, he was responsible for the knockoff gods that the Flash came across, who came course, from another universe, yes. Poseidon and stuff like that. Mm, right back at the start, yeah. Yep, but uh, he's not really done anything with any of the Golden Age characters properly yet, so this is the first time mm-hmm. we are really coming across this stuff, and to be honest, I love John Brim's stuff. Yeah. So, so good, so inventive. Yeah, I'm a big fan myself, I've read a lot of his stuff also, yeah, he's mm-hmm. great. And I think we should say, Gil Kane's art has evolved slightly, even yes. since the last story of his that we read. This is very much... The the unusual perspective, defined mm-hmm. facial characteristics, you know, fluid body language that you kind of yeah. you expect from when you think of a Gil Kane drawing, and of course Sid Green has already appeared as a character. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Way back in when we did our Strange Adventures episode, so yeah, uh-huh. it's a bit of a nexus. This issue, I can't lie, mm-hmm. I can't lie. So, shall we move into the story? Let's do so. At a come-as-you-were party given by the Gotham Broadcasting Company on Earth Two. And there's an editor's note saying, Earth 2 is a convenient designation for a parallel Earth in another dimension, where life, customs, languages, even superheroes, evolve similarly to those on Earth 1. Doesn't actually give the definition of Earth 1 there. <laughs> I like that. I do like that. Convenient designation. <laughs> it cuts out all the arguments. Mm-hmm. So in this opening panel, we see the, the party goers. The party's in full swing in the foreground of the panel, wearing a blue suit and a bow tie, looking very much like Johnny Thunder did recently. We see Alan Scott, the Green Lantern of Earth 2, and a couple of party goers in the background. There's a man in a hat. There's a, a much younger-looking lady beside him. I wonder what's going on there. Mm. And they're talking, and the, the guy in the hat says, That's Alan Scott. He's now the president of Gotham Broadcasting, but 20 years ago, he was a radio announcer. So, for the party, he's playing that role again. And the young lady says, What a forceful looking man. And in the next panel, the two party goers continue talking. The man says, And there's Doiby Dickles. He's Mr. Scott's man Friday now. He used to be a cab driver. And to fit in with the nostalgic spirit of the occasion, they took Mr. Scott here in this famous taxi called Goitrude. And the young lady says, The young lady clasping her hand to the side of her face. She's obviously delighted. She says, how cute! And in the foreground of this panel, we see Doiby Dickles himself wearing his 
trademark yellow shirt with the black stripe and his braces and his little Darby or Doiby hat. Yes. And their dialogue's very handy. A nice little info dump to bring new readers up to speed with who Alan yes. Scott and Doiby actually are. Let's give a big thank you to Captain Exposition there for, <laughs> for bringing it yes. up to speed. <laughs> so. Ca- Captain Exposition and his lovely sidekick, whatever her name is. <laughs> Party goer number one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Right, the caption for the next panel, time has moved on. As the party breaks up. And we see Alan Scott and Doiby Dickles out on the pavement next to Doiby's cab, Goytrude. They're obviously making their way home after the party. And Doiby says, Goytrude awaits yous with soybus that don't make yous noivous. And Alan says, How swell to hear that old slogan of yours again, Doiby. There's a little sign there saying taxi, stand, no parking. And that's quite charming. <laughs> I do like that. So mm. they're in the car, they're driving off. Conversation continues. Alan says, It was a great idea reliving our roles of 20 years ago, eh, Doiby? And Doiby says, <laughs> Dem was the good old days, Alan. Yes, siree. Then, as nostalgic reminiscences are rudely interrupted. And a voice is coming over Doiby's car radio, and it says, And what looks like a sizable meteor has been sighted out in space, headed directly for Gotham City. Warning. And Doiby says, A dangerous meteor. What you waiting for, pal? And Alan says, I get the message, Doiby. Well, that is the the cab. Gertrude is rattling along the the rather bumpy-looking cobbled streets. And we move to top of page three. The caption says, In the back of Goytrude, a swift transformation takes place. And we get a view from the back of the cab. Uh, Doiby's looking over his shoulder at Alan, who is now almost finished, getting ready, as Green Lantern, just adjusting his mask. And Doiby's saying, Hurry, Lantern. I think I see it coming this way. And Alan says, I'm all set to go. And the caption for the next panel says, Out of the still rolling cab catapults a uniformed figure that has thrilled many a heart. And this is a great panel. We see the few buildings and the, what appears to be the meteor streaking through the skies, leaving a big red trail burn it as it burns along. Alan is flying up over the car and he says, There it is, streaking in very low. Got to be my ring in it before it strikes. And Doiby says, I'll catch up with yours, GL. In case my valuable assistance is needed. Caption for the next panel says, Unerringly, the occult power beam meets its target. But, strangely enough... Yep, Alan has fired a beam from his ring to try and intercept the meteor, but we see the meteor passing right through the beam. And Alan thinks, It blasted right through my beam and vanished. Caption for the next panel. In fact, the only crashing sound to be heard is... And with a massive crash sound effect, we see that Doiby has driven Gertrude into a tree. Oh no. And Alan thinks, Eh? Doiby must have been watching me and not where he was going. He smacked into a tree. It must have been rotten. He's cracked it. Going to fall on him. And we sure enough see in the bottom panel of page three, the tree, is, the tree trunk has split. The top of the tree is starting to fall down towards Goytrude. And Doiby shouts from the car, Yikes! Goytrude's in danger! That tree! Help, Lantern! And we're over the page onto page four. Innocently, the green-clad crusader responds to the appeal. We see in this panel that Green Lantern is moving Goytrude out of the way, firing a beam from his ring, moves the car, but also the tree trunk bounces off the beam. And Alan thinks, My power beam. The tree was deflected by it. And he says, Doiby, look at that. Huh? Look at what? And the next panel, Doiby's emerged from the car. Green Lantern is down on the ground. They're looking at the tree trunk. And Green Lantern is saying, The tree was deflected by my ring. Didn't you see it? And Doiby says, Impossible, Lantern. Your power beam has no effect on anything made of wood. And that's a fact. <laughs> I like that fact. <laughs> Caption for the next panel says, 
On impulse, Green Lantern tries out his beam on the tree once again. Alan fires a beam from his ring and is able to levitate the trunk, and he says to Doiby, No effect, eh? What do you call that? And Doiby says, It's a cockeyed wonder. That's what it is. I don't understand. And the next panel, we see Green Lantern using his ring, finding some beams at some loose planks of wood that just seem to be lying about, and he's able to lift them up and move them into the air. And he says, You know what I think, Doiby? It's something to do with that meteor. Somehow, contact with that meteor has eliminated the weakness of my ring. It has no weakness anymore. This is too good to keep to ourselves. And Alan continues in the next panel. I've got to tell the Green Lantern of Earth-1 about this. If that meteor removed the weakness of my ring, a similar meteor contact on his Earth might remove the weakness of his ring. And there's an editor's note that says... Due to necessary impurities in the power battery, the Earth-1 power ring cannot affect anything coloured yellow. So we move to the top of page five. Green Lantern flies off and Doiby says, Gee, that's mighty big of you to think right away of helping your friend the other Green Lantern. And Alan says, I'm taking right off, Doiby. See you later. Caption for the next panel says, Soon the Wonder Beam is cleaving the vibratory barrier between the two Earths. And this is a cracking panel. Yes. It's quite trippy. It's very hard to sort of describe it. We'll definitely put this one on the socials mm-hmm. so you can have a look at it. It's almost like Green Lantern is visualised sort of flying through almost like windows or doorways. Playing cards. moving through between the dimensions. Yes. Yeah, um, quite trippy, quite out there. It's very Steve Gitko, Doctor Strange, isn't it? Very much so, yes. Just the sort of unusual shapes and mm-hmm. lines and things. And as Green Lantern moves between the dimensions, he's thinking, I always get a kick out of visiting Hal Jordan, my counterpart, Green Lantern, on Earth One. But especially now, when I have exciting news to tell him. There's a change of scenery for the next panel, and the caption says, In due course, at the Ferris Aircraft Company, where test pilot Hal Jordan is at work. We see Hal at work, testing equipment or some such, and we see the astral form, there's no other way of putting it, mm-hmm. of Green Lantern emerging above him. And Hal thinks, I'm getting a mental message from Green Lantern of Earth 2. He's arrived here on our Earth, and is waiting to see me just outside the company area. And the caption for the next panel, in a corner of the hangar, a swift change takes place and a solemn oath is renewed. Now, is this the second time we've done the oath on the podcast? I think it's the second time, yes. So, we see Green Lantern with his ring to his power battery and he says, In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. It's a great panel, very dynamic. Yes. I love how there's like energy that seems to be coming off the power battery. Yeah. It's like blowing his hair. It's terrific. Blowing his hair all over yes. the place. It's very yeah, cool. so it is. That's yeah. great. <laughs> wow, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. There must be a real sort of whoosh almost going yes. on. I was going to say, we should probably talk about you mentioning Hal's hair there is actually the best way to sort of to riff off it because our two Green Lanterns do look very different. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, d- we've done some stories recently where um, Wonder Woman had met a duplicate of herself who was pr- practically identical. Yeah. But we should say that the two Green Lanterns are very different. The Green Lantern of Earth 2, the original Alan Scott, he has a cape, which is a green lining, a sort of purple out cover. He wears a red shirt, mm-hmm. has green leggings, red boots, and his blonde hair and a purple mask. Whereas Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern of Earth 1, like all the Green Lanterns of his universe, has that sort of green and black unitard with the black leggings and the green torso sort of covering and white gloves and green boots and a green mask and he has brown hair Mm -hmm. it reminds me of the first time I encountered some Golden Age DC superheroes which was one of the JLA GSA crossovers in the the late 70s and I was the thing that always stuck that struck with Mm -hmm. me was the the differences between the Green Lantern and the Flash who I'd read other comics with and was familiar with Uh 
and these other guys mm-hmm. who looked completely different with you know their red shirts and their you know blonde hair or their mercury helmets you know yeah it's something that i've always liked is just the the difference between them all yeah some of them are pretty much the same as you said you know like yeah, we've got superman wonder woman batman they all pretty much look the same hawkman looks pretty much the same he's got different masks occasionally yeah hawkman the original one has yeah. got different masks that he wears yeah it's really mm-hmm. interesting to like compare the differences and see which ones have changed which ones haven't the atoms are very mm-hmm. different but so are the powers you know? Oh yeah, the atoms are. I think the atoms are probably, in terms of both look and yes. powers, you know, they couldn't be further apart mm-hmm. than compared to you know the flashes, the gels. And obviously, we'll go into more detail about the the difference of the atoms when we do the first atom and atom Ooh. team up in the pages of Atom Twenty Nine, which is a little pile off, but we'll get there. Anyway, so moving to panel five of page five. Shortly nearby, a warm reunion, and we see Alan Scott looking up as Hal Jordan flies down, and Hal Jordan says, "Good to see you again, Alan." And the Earth2GL says, Fine to see you too, Hal. Wait till you hear the exciting news that brought me here. The story continues. Some time has obviously passed between panels 5 and 6 of page 5 because Alan has obviously been telling Hal about everything that happened with Goytrude and the tree trunk. They're standing in front of a barrel and some empty packing cases. Alan is winding up his story to Hal and he is saying, And as a result of that meteor, my ring now has power over wood. Watch, I'll raise that wooden crate. And over the page onto page 6 and the caption says, but then, astonishingly... Alan is firing a power beam at the crate, but nothing seems to be happening. And he says... I, I don't understand. I, I can't budge the crate. Can't affect it at all. Looks like I've made some kind of mistake, Hal. I was sure my ring had power over wood, but obviously it doesn't have any longer. So my visit here to try and help you is useless. I might as well get on home. And Hal responds... No, wait, Alan. Your story has intrigued me. The caption for the next panel says... As Earth One's green gladiator reflects thoughtfully, and we get a nice close-up of Hal with it still quite wavy here, and he says, "A meteor that comes in low, at an odd angle, then it seems to shoot right through your power beam and disappear, and after that, your ring suddenly has power over wood, which now just as suddenly doesn't have any more. This is a bit of a mystery, Alan. I have a suggestion. Why not get your ring to reveal to us what really happened when it contacted that meteor?" It might enable us to get to the bottom of this strange occurrence. And a very gill-cane-looking Alan Scott says, A good idea, Hal. Guess I should have thought of that myself. And the caption for the next panel says, Under a mental command, the mystic ring responds instantly. And Alan says, Tell us what really happened when I tried to stop that meteor. Leave no details out. So as Hal Jordan watches on attentively, Alan's ring glows and starts to speak. To begin with, it was not a meteor. It was really a packet of pure energy that had been created 10 billion years before. I know this because my beam contacted the disembodied mind, the extraordinary mind in the energy packet, and absorbed the contents of that mind. This panel flashes back to the moment when Alan Scott's power ring beam was struck by the meteor. See the meteor again passing through. And then we have a caption at the bottom of this page saying, Continued on fourth page following. So, adverts for Cocoa Puffs, Speed Bikes, Go-Karts, Unibikes, How Not to Be a Litter Bug, and then one of those lovely little DC public service pages, Palisade Amusement Park, some more stuff for building models, and then we're on to page 7, and Green Lantern's ring continues. To explain everything fully, I must go back and reveal how that mind first became imprisoned in the energy packet. It had its origins some 10 billion years ago. At which time there dwelt on this world a race different from humans, who called themselves Owens. They were immortal. 
never needed sleep or rest. They strode the planet like giants. And this panel shows a very, it must be said, a very 50s Flash Gordon-y sci-fi-esque home planet setting. Very tall, blue-faced aliens. And love. Actually, the main guy at the front of the panel, his outfit looks very like Mr. Miracle's uniform, doesn't it? Do you think so? I was thinking Adam Strange. Yeah. It's like a cross between maybe Adam Strange and Mr. Miracle. Adam Miracle. Yeah, or <laughs> Mr. Strange. <laughs> That's a good name for a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> if you can imagine listeners across between Adam Strange and Mr. Miracle, that'll help you visualise this one character who appears in one panel. <laughs> He's quite tall. The helmet is very, you know, from what we can see of it, is very Adam Strange. He's wearing a red unitard. And there are tall buildings beside in weird and unusual shapes. They look quite like the, the Mysteron complex on the planet Mars, if you've seen the opening <laughs> episode of Captain Scarlet and the Mysteron. If you haven't, tough luck. But anyway, these are the Owens of the planet Oa, and they're mooching about getting on with their lives. And the caption for the next panel on page 7 says, Their tremendous natural powers they evinced often at the earliest age. The next panel shows a couple of Owen women, and must be one of their children, I suppose. And it looks like the baby is using mental abilities to move a rock. And one of the Owen women is saying, Look, my child can already lift a great boulder by mental force. Another one says, Very good indeed. My son could not do that until he was twice as old. And the caption for the next panel. The adults among the Owens busied themselves in an eternal study of nature. So we see a couple of Owen scientists at work in their laboratory. One of them holding up what looks like a very large test tube in one hand and a big flask in his other. And he's saying, we still do not know the true essence of light. But since we are immortal, we have endless time to examine the problem. And one day, perhaps we shall solve it. The caption for the next panel. Games and sports rounded out their day. Truly, it was a kind of paradise they lived in. And this is a great panel because basically it shows some Owens riding about, competing in a race, really, I think, with some giant frogs. Mounted on giant frogs. (laughs) You know, um, we can see the crowds in the background in the stadium. Yeah, (laughs) fantastic. I now lament the fact that there weren't lots of comics in the 90s that showed Ganthet pitching up on a giant frog. Can you imagine? I'm Ganthet and this is my frog... Mabel. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, there's a closing caption for page seven as Green Lantern's ring continues and it says, But there was one disturbing note in this harmony that troubled the Owen elders. Among their number was one named Crona, whose thoughts were primarily concerned with one thing. Out of all the pages in the podcast that we've done, this one is one of the most significant. It will have huge ramifications for stories right up till the very end of the stuff that we're going to cover. And we see in this panel uh, an Owen scientist called Crona, right enough, as the caption says, and he's standing in front of a large machine. It looks a bit like a a slide projector of sorts. Mm, mm -hmm. It has a massive viewing screen on it. And Crona is talking to one of his fellows, and Crona has his arms in the air, because he's obviously making an emphatic point, and he is saying, With this instrument of my own devising, I shall probe the beginning of all things. Nothing shall be hidden from me. And one of the Owens is saying, Crona! There is a legend of timeless age among us that if we ever learned the truth about our secret origins, we and our universe would be instantly destroyed. And Crona says, Bah! Such legends or tales only fools would fear. The caption for the next panel as Green Lantern's ring continues his narration says, Despite all pleas and urging, Crona continued his ceaseless labours of one day. And this is a good panel. Crona's dialogue basically tells us what we see. He's watching on his viewing screen and he says, an image forming, a shadow like a giant hand, with something, a cluster of stars in it. I must go back, further, further. 
And that panel, kids, keep that one in mind. Yes. <laughs> keep that in mind for when we get to the, the epoch-making Crisis of Infinite Earths. <laughs> the caption for the next panel very briefly says... Burn. And there's what looks like lightning coming down and striking Krona's machine. Crack! There's an explosion and he yells... Yeah! Green Lantern's ring continues. The terrible cosmic lightning bolt splintered the machine. It would have destroyed Krona too had he not been immortal. But from that moment on, evil was loosed on the universe. It swiftly spread from world to world where intelligent creatures lived who had not the gift of immortality like the Owens. And we see two, I suppose, really very brutish-looking sort of cavemen types, kind of long hair, and one of them has a club, which he's lifting against the other one who's cowering away from him. The one with the club is saying, Kill! Kill! And Green Lantern's ring continues. Brother killed brother. Hatred and violence grew, flourished, and the Owens, by their supermentality, knew it had all been caused by Krona's insatiable ambition. Over the page now to page nine. Once again they went to him and appealed to him, and once again he spurned them. And we see Krona. Let's point out the drawing on the face that's on Krona's belt. In yeah. This <laughs> we didn't mention. It's like a the face of a curly-haired, mustachioed man. Who he is, I have no idea. It's very Greek godlike. It looks like Zeus. No, it could be. It could be anyone. Yeah. It could. Maybe it's Krona's dad. But it was this panel basically is Krona in conference with some of his fellow Owens, and Krona is saying, "I will never cease searching to learn our origins. You cannot punish me. I am immortal." And the Owen that's confronting him says, "There are ways to stop you, Krona." The caption for the next panel. With their unlimited powers, they seized Krona and reduced him to a disembodied state in a prison of energy. And we see in the foreground of this panel a couple of Owen scientists working at some equipment and a couple of other Owens standing in the background. It looks like there's a beam being projected up into space and that's presumably what's happened to Krona. It's not too clear. Anyway, the two Owens who are standing watching, one of them says, Through endless time, Krona will circle through all universes. And the second one says, Nevermore will his ambition plague us. Caption for the next panel. They then set about trying to stem the tide of evil unleashed by their ambitious fellow Owen. And we see a bunch of Owens round a table, obviously having a big discussion about what they're going to do to try and fix things. And the lead Owen is saying, We shall become the guardians of our universe. Wherever wickedness rises, we will combat it and protect justice. The ring continues in the caption for the next panel. To aid them, they created assistants called Green Lanterns in various sectors of space. And we see a Green Lantern, rather a stout fellow, with a white face, there's a sort of little ruffle on his head, yeah. big ears, an odd sort of snout, and we can see some Owens. One lead Owen who has a white beard, and he's holding a Green Lantern power battery in his left hand, he's holding a Green Lantern power ring in his right hand, and he's saying to the Green Lantern in front of him, Kai Nilg, here is your power battery and your power ring. Use them well. The caption for the next panel. Also, they took care of one other matter at this period. And we see what looks like the Owen we've just seen sat with a few other fellows around this table and the Owen is saying, This radiation will ensure that none of us, and no powering force that stems from us, will ever be able, as Krona tried, to learn the dread secret of our origins. It must remain forever hidden. On the opposite page, at the top of page 10, more time has passed and we see the Guardians as we've come to know them now. A sort of like little wizened old men with huge cranial domes as their brains have obviously grown in power at the expense of their bodies. Their blue skin, their red robes, and they're obviously talking to Hal Jordan. We don't hear what they're saying. It's just obviously a little representative ex example, I suppose, of time passing. But anyway, the caption says, As the eons passed, 
the Owens evolved as a form of aging into the Guardians as you know them now. Still battling evil and aiding all creatures of goodwill. And there's a sort of inset panel to this one, and the caption says, Long before, they had forgotten Krona travelling through endless universes in his energy prison. And we see a, the white beam that represents Krona flying through a sort of blue clouded void, and another caption saying, But Krona, still alive and still possessed of his tremendous mind, had never given up scheming to free himself. Very careless of the Guardians to forget about Krona, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the caption for the next panel, Green Lantern's Ring continues its narration, saying, Recently traversing the universe of Earth 2, his restless diabolic mentality detected a long-hoped-for opportunity. We see Krona's beam, still white at this point, it must be said, approaching you know, Earth from space, moving down towards North America, and Krona is thinking, On this approaching planet, a crusader called Green Lantern with a power ring filled with occult energy. It is possible, there is a chance, that I can make use of him to gain my freedom. And Green Lantern's ring continues the narration in the next panel. By sheer mind force, Krona increased the heat in the energy packet until it glowed like a meteor. We're at the sequence in Earth 2. There's a big, tall radio telescope mast broadcasting, and we see the, the now red beam of Krona flying past it, and the voice beaming from the radio mast says, Warning, a meteor falling from space. It will land in Gotham City. Warning. And Krona's meteor beam says, My scheme is working. And then the caption for the next panel, another familiar point that we've already seen, and Green Lantern's ring says, You too believed it was a meteor. You flared out my beam to stop it, to prevent damage. And again we see Green Lantern's beam being struck by the meteor beam, but also a white flash coming from the, the meteor beam, and a trail moving towards Green Lantern's power ring. And the narration continues. But what you didn't realise was, at the moment of contact, the bodiless immortal mind of Krona, by a prodigious feat of the will, struggled free of the energy packet and passed down my mystic beam. And we see Krona, no longer just a bright burst of energy, but taking the shape of his own form, moving indeed down towards Alan's ring. And he's thinking, After ten billion years, free! Now over the page to the top of page 11, and the caption panel with the ring narrating still says, But although released from the energy prison, the exiled Owen still was more or less helpless. Only by returning to his own universe could he resume his bodily form and employ once again to the full his prodigious powers. His way of bringing this all about was to enable you, Alan Scott, temporarily to have control over wooden objects. And we're back at the panel of Alan being able to move the wooden planks that we saw earlier on. In fact, he clarifies for us rather helpfully, because we see him raising the bits of wood and he's thinking, My ring lifting this wooden fence. And the ring's narration continues. He anticipated that you would immediately think of helping your friend, the Green Lantern of Earth-1. Sure enough, you sped here into Krona's universe, but what you didn't realise as you arrived... We're back at the moment when Green Lantern was travelling from Earth-2's universe to Earth-1's universe, back through that Steve Ditko-esque trippy fashion, where he's flying through the frames and all the lights and shapes are all moving all around him. But what he doesn't see, as Alan flies, is that Krona emerges from Green Lantern's power ring and flies off, thinking... Now that I am back in my own universe where I have regained my full powers, I can detach myself from this occult ring and become Krona again. The ring's narration continues as we see Hal Jordan talking to Alan Scott. I thereupon lost contact with him and can give no more information. And both the Atlantis look at each other and Hal says, Alan, 
The first thing I must do is notify the guardians. Warn them of what has happened. After that, I must find Krona. And Alan replies, We must find Krona. After all, I'm responsible for his being here. The caption for the next panel. Soon in the hangar dressing room where secretly the power battery is kept. This panel shows that Hal has contacted the Guardians. There's some smoke emerging from his power battery. And from that smoke is emerging the head of one of the Guardians. And Hal is saying, I've contacted the Guardians. Ah, and the Guardian's head has emerged. The Guardian is saying, Yes, we already know what you want to tell us, Green Lantern. We too listened in on the account of your friend's ring. The situation is grave. It requires emergency action. We move to the top of page 12. This is the most Gil Kane panel ever. Look at the shading <laughs> on the cloud. That's beautiful. Mm. Anyway, the Guardian says, Krona is somewhere on Earth, but he has set up mental defences to prevent our discovering his exact location. Undoubtedly, he will seek again to probe the forbidden secrets of our origins. This could result in the instantaneous destruction of the universe. Our calculations show that the first results of his mad efforts will be a terrible outpouring of evil in his immediate vicinity. That means that your Earth is in the utmost danger. We shall arrive there as soon as possible to set up a temporary headquarters. Meanwhile, use your ring to do all in your power to avert disaster. And Hal says, I understand. And Alan says, We understand, Hal. We're together in this. Come what may. Terrific. So that's the end of part one. Over the page, past the letters page, and we're at Secret Origin of the Guardians, part two. And a caption says, Racked by invisible waves of evil spreading from Krona's presence on Earth-1, the planet itself goes berserk, seeking in fury and hatred to destroy the humanity that has spawned on its surface. Near Coast City, mighty Coast River rises up from its banks, insanely with murderous intent, striking to both sides of its great channel. And while all over the universe, on many worlds, different green lanterns are straining to combat the upsurge of evil, here on Earth too, a duo of green lantern speeds to meet the greatest and most intense threat of all. Now that's a mistake. Yes, that's what I was going to say, because we're not on Earth 2, because Coast City, Hal Jordan's place of residence, is on Earth 1. Yes, so a little error in the script there. That's huge though, that's mental. That's a shame. So this is a full page splash panel heralding the start of part two and we see the two Green Lanterns flying in midair and the sea and the river. I mean, this is, again, this, you could not mistake this for anyone else. This is Gil Kane. This is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. He's an acquired taste. I can't lie. When I was a bit younger, I was not a fan. I remember having a conversation with someone in one of the comic shops once. It was another punter, I think, in City Centre Comics. And we were talking about how um, reading Gil Kane comics sometimes felt like you were looking upwards down someone's nostrils. <laughs> it took me a long time to realise that what he was doing was just playing with perspective and trying to make it a more dynamic yeah. reading experience. And that's certainly what's happening here. I mean, they, Absolutely, yeah. you couldn't, as I said already, you, you couldn't think this was anyone else. We can see the city and it's being sort of flooded out as the sea, massive waves sort of rising up and crashing down. Two green lanterns are flying down and Alan Scott is saying, Thanks to the Guardians, the alert is on, Hal. The river is running amok, churning over its banks like a wild beast. And Hal says, You take the left side, Alan. I'll take the right. Got to protect these people from harm. Now over the page onto page 14. Quick question. So it's not been changed from Earth 2 in the in the reprint? Nope. Okay, interesting. No, you're right. Aye, it's, um, it's terrible. Oh, well. Deary me. Anyway, so we're at the top of page 14. And look at all those gorgeous Gilkane faces. Oh, yes. The caption for the first panel says, At once the visiting Green Lantern of Earth 2 bursts into action, <laughs> training his mighty ring at the raging waters. 
there we go. That caption immediately contradicts the, <laughs> the other one. That's yeah. insane. So in this panel, a beam of energy is firing out from, from Alan's ring on his left hand. We can see the crowd all down in the street, running away, panicking, frightened. It's, it's a cracker. This one will go on the yeah. socials. And the beam from Alan's ring has frozen the water into ice. And he's thinking... Waves like enormous pincers trying to crush these people. But my beam has frozen the water into solid ice, stopping it cold. And the caption for the next panel... While on the other side of the river... And I want to comment on this panel as well, because I think I said this before, back when we did JLA 15, that mm-hmm. the art on that really captured the way that Gil Kane draws, the way that Hal Jordan flies. He never looks stiff. He's almost like a swimmer. Yeah. It's like Hal sort of tipped up, basically. It's almost like he's doing a handstand. Mm-hmm. It's something else. I mean, it's again, it's what we're saying about perspective. It's There's no way that Green Lantern would have to sort of fly horizontally with his arms stretched out. I mean, if his, his power ring enables him to do virtually anything so yeah. I just love this idea of him flipping up in, the, in mid-air and what he's doing is he's firing his power ring down there's a huge cloud of steam and Hal is thinking my ring is creating huge atomic ovens inside the waves turning the water into steam as fast as it comes up from its bed those people are safe for the time being and he's generated a couple of large red as he says atomic ovens there's little waves of radiation coming off them that's obviously what's making the water steam up these two panels are terrific we'll probably put them both up side by side actually yeah. so you can have a look the caption then for the bottom panel of page 14 says, And soon after, another dread spectacle engages the twin ring wielders. For Mount Pacific, towering over Coast City, has thrust a huge tongue of itself upward, like the tongue of a huge slavering wolf. And a weight of millions of tons of earth whirls towards the helpless metropolis. Again, this is another excellent panel. We can see that the mountain is almost pitching forward and there's a little sort of, it's almost like a tornado. Mm-hmm. Or a whirlwind sort of coming from the top of it, and rocks are flying out towards Coast City. The two green lanterns are on the case, of course, and Alan is saying, The mountain is bending over like something alive, hurtling toward the city. And Hal says, It sprouted like a gigantic onion, and the top part, elongated, whirling like a huge whip towards those buildings, added Alan with full power. Caption for the next panel says, As twin green beams swiftly form colossal implements to attack the huge whip and halt its mad thrust at humanity. And this is another panel. I like this one because it's showing the different thought processes of how the, the two Green Lanterns work. Let's let's actually let the, the two Green Lanterns sort of thought bubbles do the work for us. Mm-hmm. So Hal's first and, and he's thinking, Alan has formed an enormous saw with his ring, slicing through the menace. And Alan is thinking... Hal's beam has created a mammoth riveting machine, jolting the tongue to pieces. Yep, that's what we see. Alan's got a massive big saw, and Hal's riveting machine is blasting chunks out of the the big stretch of rock. It's fantastic. The caption for the next panel. Defeated, the mountain seems to withdraw into itself, as if to lick its wounds. Yep, and there's a sense there that the, the mountain is shrinking back into place, and Alan says, We beat it. The mountain is shrinking back. And Hal says... Mother Nature is not calling it quits yet, Alan. Look, that cloud. And there's a sort of black cloud sort of coming up over the horizon towards them. The caption for the next panel says, Angry clouds floating together have formed an aerial whirlpool revolving at incredible speed. Alan Scott Green Lantern says, The tornado-like cloud whipping up terrific winds. And Hal says, If it strikes the city, it will level it in moments. The caption for the next panel Instantly, the green-clad sentinels are on the move, seeding the whirling cloud with silver iodide crystals formed by the remarkable rings. So on the right-hand side of the panel, we see the giant big whirling cloud, and the two green lanterns are flying in from the left, and they're using their rings 
or as we can see, firing down some beams towards it, creating a silver iodide. And Alan is saying, The cloud matter is condensing around the silver iodide crystals created by our beams and turning into rain. And Hal says, The rain is falling in torrents, but at least it won't harm anyone this way. I'm impressed by this. They can create silver iodide crystals using the ring. I mean, I don't know if it's maybe just, should be not just be the case, maybe that the, they use the power ring to start the reaction. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm overthinking. It's science. A science lesson for the kids. Yes. It's science that's doing it, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's like a flashback to Green Lantern. <laughs> so we're at the top of page 16, and a quick caption says, Then, suddenly... And a guardian appears, and it prompts Hal to say, Alan, one of the guardians appearing before us. And the floating guardian of the universe head says, Hey, heed. We have arrived on this planet and have set up a temporary headquarters. You must join us at once to plan our battle against Krona. You need no longer fear the outpouring of evil. Our presences here are enough to hold in check the waves of evil caused by Krona. Follow my image. It will lead you to us. And the caption for the next panel says, Soon an unexpected development at the Guardian's temporary headquarters, an unused courtroom in Coast City... And I have to say, this does take me out of it slightly. <laughs> There's about half a dozen guardians, all on chairs, behind a big long desk in an empty courtroom. It's, um, it's very convenient, I think, that they found it. Yeah. And Alan and Hal have arrived, and the guardians are all sat down, but a couple of them are on their feet, and one of them is saying, Turn in your power ring and uniform, Hal Jordan. Alan Scott is replacing you as Green Lantern of Earth. And Hal shouts, What? I've done everything you've ever asked me. I've never shirked a duty. I've suffered and fought. And now you suddenly take away my status as Green Lantern and give it to Alan Scott? Why? 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 The bottom third of page 16 mm -hmm. has an advert for issue 62 of Brave and the Bold, which we'll be covering very, very soon. Yes. Second team up of Starman and Black Canary. So watch out for that one, listeners. It'll be with you, oh, soon enough. Yes. Right. So now we're on to page 17. Secret Origin of the Guardians, Part 3, and a caption that says, Hal Jordan disposed as Green Lantern. What could account for this shocking switch on the part of the Guardians? To understand, let us once again turn back the clock a short while to the incredible Krona, black sheep of the immortal Owen race, intent on revenge against his fellow Owens, now known as the Guardians, in a cave outside Coast City, where he has set up a fantastic workshop. Now, I'm really impressed by this. I'm really impressed that, that Krona has found the facilities and the equipment to do this. He basically, it looks like he's recreated his laboratory, which he had in Oa. Not bad. In Chapter 1, there's the same mm -hmm. massive scientific equipment with some big levers and buttons, and there's a big viewing screen, which Krona's looking at. We can see a galaxy spiralling on it, and Krona, as he operates the machinery, is thinking, Thank goodness for Radio Shack. <laughs> I was about to say, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> Have they changed it for the reprint? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> yes, this time I shall discover the secret origins of the Owens without fail. But, just in case the ancient legend is true that my probing could indeed cause the total destruction of the universe, I've made certain plans to ensure my safety while the cataclysm occurs. And in a close-up inset panel, some fingers to his forehead, he looks very pained, and he's thinking, But first, my mental defences have already warned me that my enemies, the so-called Guardians, are now here on this planet. To carry out my scheme, I must enter their company without their suspecting my identity. So, across the page now, 
to the top of page 18, and the caption says, Using his stupendous mental control over matter, the renegade Owen reduced himself once more to an energy state, and... And we see the two Green Lanterns in the process of attacking the big cloud, which we saw earlier on. And the little white essence of Krona is flying towards Alan Scott. And it's thinking... It was easy enough to locate these two Green Lanterns by tuning in on the special vibrations given off by the power beams. The caption for the next panel says... Then, at blinding speed, invisibly, a startling event occurred. This is quite an interesting panel. We see the little white essence of Cronabeam firing towards Green Lantern Alan Scott's head, and there's a flash of energy. Then a transparent, very astral form-type rendering of Alan emerges at the other side. And the essence of Krona is thinking, I'm taking over the body of the one called Alan Scott. I have urgent need for his body. At the same time, I'm ejecting his mind, for which I have no need. Well, it's very helpful of Corona to explain what we were saying there. Thanks. Yes. We should say that in the foreground of the panel, there's a huge, big, quiffy Hal Jordan yes. looking really pained and focused. We move to the next panel, which is back with the two Green Lanterns in front of the Guardians in their makeshift courtroom headquarters. <laughs> and the caption says, Thus Krona gained his initial objective, close proximity to the Guardians without arousing their suspicions. And Krona, in the body of Alan Scott, is thinking... From this short distance, I'm able to cast an unbreakable spell over the Guardians. From now on, they'll do what I mentally command them. And we see a green burst of energy emerging from Alan's forehead and heading towards the Guardians, and it's flashing around them. And this is going some ways, obviously, to explaining the cliffhanger ending at Mm. the end of part two. The caption continues. Thus, it was under the evil Owen's sinister influence that the protectors of the universe issued their startling order. And once again, we're at the, the cliffhanger. Alan's standing off to the side, and there are little waves of energy coming off the top of his head, and similar waves around the head guardian. Um, this is obviously him instructing the guardian what to say, because the guardian is saying to Hal, Turn in your power ring and uniform, Hal Jordan. Alan Scott is replacing you as Green Lantern of Earth. And Hal Jordan is backed with his startled uh, response <laughs> when he says, What? And then a closing caption for this panel says, But now to pick up our narrative again from the point where we left it, as a stunned Hal Jordan reacts violently. Nothing doing! The only way I'll quit is if Scott can beat me in a Green Lantern duel, and I'm challenging him to take me on right now! And over the page, and in between page 18 and page 19 of story, there's an advert for a Batman 80-page giant, and another nice full-page DC subscriptions advert. And then we arrive on page 19, as Hal is squaring up to Alan, and Hal says... On your guard, Green Lantern of Earth-1. And Alan Scott, or is it Krona, is thinking, Coming at me furiously, his ring blazing. Too late now to attempt mental control over him. I'll have to accept the fool's challenge. But I won't take any risks. And the caption for the next panel. Using Alan Scott's ring, the wily Krona sets up a yellow shield that protects him from his rival's beam. And at the same time... And this is basically the opening splash panel for the whole story. It's slightly more from Alan's perspective at this point. We can see him finding his ring through the yellow shield that he's created. And it strikes Hal. It goes flying backwards into the wall with a massive crash. And Hal is thinking, That yellow shield! My ring can't penetrate it! Oh! The caption for the next panel says, As the disguised Owen follows up his advantage. And we see Alan, in inverted commas, you know, it's Krona in his body, coming through the hole in the wall. Hal's on the other side. Hal's getting to his feet. And 
Krona is in the body of Alan is thinking, Still in one piece. He has more endurance than I thought. But it won't help him. And a recovering Hal Jordan is thinking, Phew, Alan sure has a mad on. I'm not surprised, Hal. You've just blooming challenged him to a duel. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. Right. The caption for the next panel says, Again, the mighty beam increased by Krona's mind force flares out. And again, it's a great panel of Alan's ring firing at Hal, and Hal's doing a trademark Gil Kane backflip over some rubbish <laughs> bins. And this could be the first mention of the name of a James Bond movie in this mm. podcast, because Krona is thinking, As these earthlings would put it, I've knocked the living daylights out of him. The next panel shows Hal out for the count on his back on the ground with rubbish strewn in the pavement. The Alan Scott Green Lantern's body stands over him, and Krona is thinking, I'd like to destroy him utterly, but my mind force informs me it would be extremely difficult, if not impossible. Evidently, his ring automatically acts to protect him in case of mortal danger. Well, he won't bother me anymore. And in any event, if this entire universe disintegrates due to my <coughs> experiments, he'll go with it. His ring won't save him then. And we have an editor's note that says, True, Green Lantern's ring will protect him only from dangers within the universe, not from the destruction of the universe itself. Wow. So the panel shows Hal in the foreground still out for the count on the ground, and Krona in the body of Alan Scott moving back through the hole in the wall that was created when he smashed Hal through it. We cross to the top of page 20, and the caption says, And soon in the cave outside Coast City, where the evil Owen has transported his guardian captives by mind power... Right, there's a lot going on here. We see again Krona's big visual screen in the middle and there's laboratory coming all around. The Guardians are assembled on the left of the panel and Krona, still in the body of Alan Scott, is on the right. And the first Guardian is saying, We know now it is the mind of Krona that has us in thrall. And the second Guardian says, Yes, but we are helpless to break loose from the evil spell he managed to throw over us while in disguise. And Krona, in the body of Alan, is saying, Now, my fellow Owens, you shall witness my ultimate triumph. Not only will I expose our secret origin, but I shall do it right in front of your eyes. We should probably point out that in the background of this panel we can see Krona's body standing in a corner. Interesting. Is Pete, is this the first time that the phrase secret origin you know, has been used by a character oh. in the context of a story in the podcast? I believe it is, yeah. That's unusual. And it's literally the title of it, yeah. Yeah, and it, I suppose it must be one of the... But I'm guessing maybe one of the first times that the phrase has maybe been used. I don't know. That might not be the case. Mm -hmm. But it's, Secret Origin was the title of a famous DC Comics 80-page giant. Yeah. Which reprinted the, the you know the sort of inaugural adventures of several superheroes. Then there was another one. And then there was a short-lived 70s reprint title called Secret Origins, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about when we get into the 70s. And then there was a longer-running, successful Secret Origins title, which ran for about four or five years in the, the yeah. 80s, which um, did all sorts of origins. And, and as a neophyte DC fan in the early 90s, it was incredibly useful for catching up and learning about all sorts of characters and, and superheroes and baddies. It's it a brilliant title. It was also very useful in the course of its 50 issues and annuals for explaining post-Crisis and Infinite Earths origins of characters, characters whose origins had changed due to the nature That's of true. Crisis and Infinite Earths. It was used quite a lot then and That's Roy true. Thomas was heavily involved in it because he did a lot of the, the heavy lifting in that. That's right. Again, it's way off in the future but it's, it's worth talking about now because this comic 
Green Lantern 40 becomes one of the, the cornerstones of Crisis on Infinite yes. Earths, and we don't want to talk too much about everything that's, that's far off in the future. It's another point to mention that Roy Thomas was someone who was probably the person on the DC editorial team that cared the most about the Earth 2 concept and the characters involved in mm-hmm. He ended up having to spend an awful lot of time cleaning up, if you like, the mess that was created by Crisis mm-hmm. and dealing with a lot of the changes. I've always felt sorry for him for that. Yeah. Very difficult. But anyway, we should get back to the plot. Cronin, the body of Green Lantern, continues talking to the Guardians, and he says, That way, my pleasure in breaking the one great forbidden rule of our race will be infinitely increased by your terror and fear when it happens. Green Lantern is operating some equipment in that panel. It's quite effective. Then there's a short caption for the next panel. Then... And then we see the Green Lantern body pitching forward and the astral body, if you like, the essence of Krona emerging from him and then moving back into his own body. And over this little sequence of movement, Krona thinks, But first, to re-enter my own body. There is no longer any reason for disguising myself. And then the next panel is an, another absolute cracker. I mean, look at the detailing. Mm-hmm. That's just it's fantastic. It's Green Lantern out for the count. I like the fact his ring is foregrounded. Yeah. And Krona, standing over him, is saying, By mental force, I have created a duplicate of Alan Scott's power ring. This is of vital importance in my plans. It is the key device I must use to spirit myself away from harm. In case our ancient legend really comes true, and this universe starts to disintegrate. For you see, this power ring is not of this universe and will not be affected by its collapse. It will automatically bear me to safety, to the universe of Earth 2. Cunning, am I not? It's almost like he's addressing the camera there, isn't it? It's just the way that, that, that Kane's drawn him. It is. I also like how he's... Uh picked up the Earth 2 uh, designation as well. Yeah. He must have been listening to our podcast or perhaps uh, <laughs> re- reading some of the early JLAGSA team-ups. Yeah, maybe he can get comicsology on that big screen. <laughs> and maybe when Alan was adjusting the level on that lever, he was actually turning the volume down or stopping the episode that he'd been listening to. Maybe. I think it's worth pointing out as well that Krona, he's wearing the duplicate of Alan's power ring. He's wearing it on his left hand. Same way Alan does. Mm-hmm. So we're over the page now to the top of page 21. And the caption says, Then before the horrified eyes of the Guardians, powerless to move to interfere with their ex-colleague's sinister plan. Once again on the screen in front of Krona, we see the giant hand with the swirl of the galaxy in its palm. And Krona is saying, This time no cosmic lightning bolt will halt my attempt. I have shielded my workshop here from any such accident. There, again, the formless hand-like cloud, the starry nebula. But I must go back further, to the beginning, to our very origin. I want to know what he's done that has been able to shield the workshop from such accident. Because I kind of got the sense that it wasn't an accident. I got the sense it was intervention. Anyway, um, we have a very short caption that says, Meanwhile... And we see Hal Jordan on still on the pavement next to the rubbish bin. Good grief. <laughs> and he's <laughs> glad he hasn't been mugged or attacked or anyway whilst he's been lying there. And he's sort of wakening up and in front of him there's a little flash of green energy. And it's talking to him in a familiar voice. Hal, wake up. You must listen to me. And Hal says, Alan Scott, contacting me telepathically. The caption for the next panel says, Questingly, the power beam flares out and... A little burst of energy from Hal's power ring takes the shape of Alan Scott. Hal exclaims, Alan! And the little form of Alan Scott says, Crona took over my body and he's taking control of the Guardians too. I've been searching for you. Listen, there's hardly any time left. The caption for the next panel says, As the bodiless hero reveals to his comrade-in-arms the duplicity of Krona and all that has occurred. 
Alan continues. I know this, Hal, because in this disembodied state, my mind is wide telepathic powers. You must stop Krona. And Hal's thinking. Alan's warning, giving me strength to carry on the fight against Krona. I sure could use his help. Very handy that Alan has developed his telepathic abilities in this situation. Anyway, and so the next panel shows the little burst of smoke and energy that was the Alan Scott that appeared before Hal. Shrinking back into Hal's ring, kind of like the opposite of the way that, you know, the smoke coming out of a genie's lamp might go back in, I imagine. And Hal says in close-up, Summoning up all my willpower, Alan, to command my ring to absorb your mind into my own brain. That way we can battle Krona together. And Alan says, I'll guide you to him. And the caption for the next panel says, As the double-minded Green Lantern flies off to contact Krona. And we see Hal flying through the air. And there's big jagged bolts of pink lightning flashing across the sky. And Hal thinks, fantastic lightning. The sky growing dark. And Alan's voice says, Hurry, Doomsday is almost upon us. We move to the top of page 22 and the caption says, As a timely arrival interrupts the evil Owen's hour of triumph. And we see Krona at his machinery. The screen's blank now for some reason, which is quite interesting. And Krona is thinking, In another moment, I'll know the secret. Hey, that Green Lantern again, blundering in on me. And we hear Alan's voice say, Adam, Hal. And Hal says, Here goes, Alan. But then Krona, in the next panel, he's too fast. And he says, Bah, it is almost too easy to defeat him. A mere matter of instantly erecting a yellow barrier before me that his power beam cannot pierce. While at the same instant I shoot a burst of this ring's overwhelming power at him. Uh! And what's happened is Krona has created a yellow shield using his power ring, but Hal has managed to fire a beam through it. And Hal thinks, our plan's working. The caption for the next panel says, To his stunned amazement, things don't go quite according to plan for Krona. Hal's little burst of green energy fires right through the yellow shield and knocks Krona backwards. And Alan's voice can be heard saying, We've sent him reeling. Press on, Hal. Don't give him time to recover. And Hal thinks, How can I miss, with Alan rooting me on? The caption of the next panel at the bottom of page 22 says, But even though stricken, the evil Owen is still plenty dangerous. Krona says, A cosmic lightning bolt will flatten him. And a burst of white lightning strikes Hal. And Hal thinks, Something coming from his mind, with tremendous powers. Over the page now to the top of page 23, and the caption says, Again, the grim gladiator is hurled backward. This is a bad issue for Hal. I mean, he might be ripped as you like, but he's getting <laughs> flung on his back an awful lot. Yeah. We hear Alan's voice saying, Hal! Hal! Hal says, Relax, pal. He hasn't won yet. Listen, when I give the signal, add your willpower to mine. Give it all you've got. The caption for the next panel says, Then, as the steel-like strength of will of both heroes combines with shattering effect against their foe... The next panel, Hal's on his feet and he's punching out Krona with his left hand and with his right hand, he's firing a little burst of energy from his ring which moves Krona's left hand out of the way so that the ring beam that Krona was trying to fire to strike Hal is diverted. And Hal says, We've knocked him down, weakened him, dazed him. Caption for the next panel. At that instant, with Krona's concentration broken, his omnipotent enemies, the Guardians, burst loose from Thrall. And one of the Guardians says... First, we destroy the diabolic device that threatened our forbidden secret. And with a crack, we see Krona's equipment exploding. The Guardian continues in the next panel. Then we deal with you, Krona. And he's using his energy to lift Krona up into the air. And Krona says, I'm weak in your power, but I still defy you. And another Guardian says, Your defiance cannot help you now. 
There's a bit of a slow fade in the caption for the next panel says, Shortly. And one of the Guardians rather helpfully explains, We have once again reduced Krona to an energy form, but this time we have sent him off in an orbit that will never intersect any planet or star. Never again will he be able to free himself or threaten any universe. And with a little puff of dust from the ground, back in the white like energy form he was in earlier on, we see Krona lifting up into the air. We cross to top of page 24, final page of the story, and the caption says, Later, after the Guardians have returned to Oa and Green Lantern's ring has replaced Alan Scott's mind in its own body, we see the two Green Lanterns in conversation, and Hal says, The idea of switching power rings so that I had on the ring from your body instead of my own was an inspiration, Alan. And Alan says, Yes, it gave us the advantage of surprise, Hal when my ring's beam pierced Krona's yellow energy shield. And in the next panel, Hal continues. That trick sure saved the day. But whose idea was it? Yours or mine? You know, I can't recall. And Alan says, What difference does it make? We were both in the same brain. Must admit, that panel's great because Hal's giving a great side eye to the reader at that moment. Yes. It's it's phenomenal. It's great, isn't it? I love it. Yeah. And the next panel, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, flies off saying, So I guess we can both take the credits. And now I've got to get back to my own Earth. So long, Hal. Bye, Alan. Thanks for the terrific teamwork. And then the closing caption for the closing panel says, As a weary Green Lantern of Earth draws a deep breath. And Hal, in a very dramatic panel, with sun beaming down, (laughs) is thinking to himself, The sun is shining now, and all is peaceful. How beautiful everything is now that the menace is over. I can only hope it stays that way, and that Cronin never gets loose to spread evil and terror again. The, the end. end. There we go. Well, now this issue is very significant in the yes. DC multiverse system. I, w- I want to applaud it. Frankly, I want to <laughs> applaud it. There we go. That was that was brilliant, John Broom. You are mental, and we love you. It is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think while well, these disasters were happening, Cronin uh, was reading Radio Shack for all that equipment? I think it must be. It must be. Yeah, he was setting up his Instagram account and. Setting up his Twitter and rating and reviewing the other two podcasts on whichever relevant podcast app he was using. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much to talk about. That's one of the densest stories I think we've done. There's so much in that. Uh I mean, it's um, it's absolutely packed, but all of it told very concisely and very economically, and also very excitingly. There was you know there was all the the slightly talky origin, but then the the short sequence of the GLs fighting some natural disasters and all. And, um, or unnatural disasters, <laughs> and then the final confrontation with all the, the swapping. It was yeah. quite dizzying at the end, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now this event, it's not really going into in in the story, but the actual peering of Krona back to the origins of the universe, the energy that's released during the end splinters the universe and turns it into the multiverse. It's not really going into in this story. Yeah. But certainly that is. Yeah. That is the spring from which the multiverse comes from. So it's not really the last we'll see of Krona. No. We'll see him again. But again, we don't want to say too much about Crisis and Infinite Earths before we get to it. It's a long way off, <laughs> and I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening to the podcast will have read it. Uh-huh. You know, we're all on a journey together, so we're really just trying to take it all as it comes. Krona and his big screen and the big hand. Yeah, bear all that in mind. Bear all yeah. that in mind. It's very important. So what parts of the story did you enjoy the most? What really surprised you about it? Well, as I say, it was the, the narrative density of it mm-hmm. compared to the, if you like, the simplicity of one of you know the Wonder Woman Forest of Giants we did a few weeks ago uh-huh. or some of the Lois Lane and, and Superman family stories. There's so much in this. Yeah. Like I say, all the stuff at the start with the origin of the Owens and the Guardians, that's amazing. And all yeah. the, the interplay between Alan and Hal and how they work together and that... 
idea of them swapping rings and you know the cameo from Doiby at the Doiby Dickles at the start. And Goitrudes. Don't forget Goitrude. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think they're both in the next two Green Lantern team ups in the page of the Green Lantern title actually, Doiby and Gertrude. And then just that genius little bit at the end. I love the fact that we didn't see them swapping rings. Yeah. Was, you know, it happened off panel uh-huh. and then he tells about it. Even reading it again, I was thinking Huh? Hal can get through the yellow energy? What? What's going on? <laughs> and it's because he's using Alan's ring. Genius. Mm-hmm. I loved it all. What, what were your favourite bits? I must admit, I did quite enjoy the use of Captain Exposition at the beginning <laughs> to basically set everything up. Yeah. That was hilarious. But any John Drum story, you know, in for a treat, to be honest, it's mm. so layered with lots of great stuff. I mean, I keep on referring to it, but the idea of Corona just like managing to get from 1960s Earth One all this equipment to recreate his lab, you know, instantly yes. without any problem. That's yes. fine. That is insane, <laughs> really. Yeah. And I love the idea of the guardians just walking about town. Where can we go? Here's a disused courtroom. <laughs> Let's go in there. Yes. Okay. It's, it's hilarious. Genuinely hilarious. And I yeah. love it to bits. I would not change it for uh-huh. anything. It's just perfect. You can almost imagine the guardians walking in and having a conversation. Um, hello, mm-hmm. do you mind if we um can we use courtroom number two for ten minutes? <laughs> yeah, that'll be fine. On your girl, buddy. On your... I mean, that'd be tremendous. Who shall I say then? Uh, we are immortals of the gods. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we see the visitors book and it says Ganthet and then everyone else underneath. <laughs> yeah, thinking about the stuff that happened off camera is almost as entertaining as the comic itself. Definitely, yeah. And as we said throughout, Kane's artwork is just. Stunning. Yes. Really, really crisp and really fresh and really, yeah. And Sid Green as well, just the way you can see it's like every mm. stroke of hair in uh, Alan and Hal is amazing and it's it's just the intricate inking of Sid Green, I don't think, can be overstated. A brilliant synergy between them. Uh, yeah, great stuff. It's an interesting thing we should probably we should probably say about this comic as well is that um, Flash of Two Worlds and Flash 1, 2, 3 has been reprinted many, mm. many times and is held up as, you know, the cornerstone yeah. of the multiverse and all that and it's, it's very well regarded and very, very visible, but Green Lantern 40, mm-hmm. not really as visible. I mean, it was a long time before it was reprinted. Flash 1, 2, 3 was reprinted very quickly in an 80-page giant, and then and again subsequently mm-hmm. many times. But Green Lantern 40 wasn't reprinted until it was in one of the DC Digest yeah. issues. That was a much later on. It's been re- reprinted a couple of times since. It's in the, the Green Lantern 75 years hardback. It's in another mm-hmm. Green Lantern collection, which I think is called In Brightest Day. It's made it, obviously, into the omnibuses in the archives. But it's a shame because it's quite action-packed, and it's really well-written, and there's some really good... Sort of Hal and Alan back and forth, and it's a shame that it's not as visible. I mean, it, I know that one Flash One Two Three got a facsimile reprint quite recently, didn't it? Yes. And I'm sure that there was a Millennium edition of Flash One Two Three probably twenty years ago. Yeah, there was. Uh-huh. I don't remember there being one for Green Lantern Forty, which is a shame because yep, it's absolutely. it's the first big team up of the other big main multiverse crossover guys. You know, it's, we've had the two Flashes many times uh-huh. by now, but this is the first Green Lantern Green Lantern team up, and there will be a couple more along very soon as the crow flies, I suppose. Yeah. No, Green Lantern Forty. A great story, as I keep saying. And of course, this issue is edited by Julie Schwartz again, you know, so it's uh, adding to his, the way he's building the DC multiverse through The Flash, through the Justice League of America, and of course now we've had visits to the multiverse in Green Lantern before, but not specifically the Earth 2, and here we are, we're getting it, and it's it's great stuff. Yeah, it's all very coherent, and I liked, I liked and appreciated the almost casual mentions of Earth 1 and Earth 2 without really any real explanation. Yeah. It's just assume that the reader knows what's going on. There was there wasn't even one of the little panels showing the differences that that you know we like spotting sometimes. Very true. Yeah. Uh huh. It just shows you that the idea of birth to and the momentum of the whole concept is building up at yeah. this time. The mid sixties, it's really hitting its yeah. stride as we've as we've been finding out. Absolutely, and there've been so many stories that we've covered recently that have either started in Earth two or have just been set entirely in Earth two. Mm-hmm. As I've said, I think earlier on, it's definitely a purple patch for all that sort of stuff. 
Yes. So that's what we think when we jump into what the readers at the time thought. Oh, definitely. So yes, Green Lantern's Mule Shoot, funnily enough, from issue 43, which features another Green Lantern team-up, but it's a Green Lantern team-up with uh, Barry Allen Flash, so no, no Earth 2 shenanigans in that issue. <laughs> and the first letter says, Dear Editor, I suppose there's no point in writing about the October Green Lantern. You'll probably find my letter mouldering at the bottom of the pile. If you smell mildew, that's my letter. But I'm <laughs> writing anyway. Why do I brave certain disappointments? Simple. On the very slim chance that you do come across this before it disintegrates and print it, I can brag to my friends. But enough of that. I wanted to give my opinion, not that it's worth much, but don't let that bother you, that Green Lantern 40 is the best printed to date. In case you'd overlooked the fact, the art was by Gil Kane and Sardine, my clue was in the splash page, and simply fantastic. For once, the Guardians actually looked like humanoid beings, not wax dummies. Alan Scott, the other Earth Green Lantern, looked just old enough to be realistic. He didn't look the same age as Hal Jordan. The story, by John Broom, practically swept me, pun, off my feet. <laughs> the Guardians were no more the oh-so-high-and-mighty overlords of justice. They had fears, too, of discovering the answer to their hidden past. On the whole, it was a real science fiction type of plot, and done very well. That's from Rand B. Lee from Roxbury, Connecticut. Fantastic. I mean, that's the point he makes about the Guardians almost having their bubble burst slightly. Very fearful. Yeah. Uh-huh. The very short editorial response to this one. Your letter was carefully lifted from the bottom of the pile and shifted to the top because it was tops with us, editor. And the next letter. Dear editor, the only way to begin this letter is with a big sigh. Nearly every time I buy a Green Lantern magazine, I have to write in and rave and roar about the great artwork, authorship, cover, etc., and firmly put my foot down to indicate that this particular issue is, was, and will be the absolute best GL ever, ever, ever published. But, sure enough, you guys always have to show me up and turn out a better follow-up issue. Well, once again, my face is full of red embarrassment. I'm returning to sing praises at the top of my voice to The Secret Origin of the Guardians. The story is the absolute best GL yarn it has and ever will be published, and I want to put my foot down firmly to indicate that right now. I would now like to let you know why I thought it was so great. 1. The Guardians were used extensively. Lately they have been popping up quite frequently since they faded out several years ago in GL number 2, and although these reappearances were frequent, the Guardians were more or less used as part of the background and fill-ins. But in this issue they were given a leading part, which I hope will be a big enough blast, to show the Guardians back into the regular character list. They had a feeling of mystery, and especially massive discipline to the GL stories and always make me feel comfortable and relaxed. Okay. <laughs> they, they make him comfortable and relaxed. That's reassuring. That's, I suppose maybe he responds well to authority figures. Anyway, <laughs> point two. The story and artwork were great. Natch. I've always given John Broom an A-plus on his stories, but just had to give him an A-double-plus on this one. Gil Kane and Sid Green came through with their usual high-quality artwork. Point three. The issue hit me emotionally at three different places. The cover the middle of the story, and the story's end. When I first pulled the issue out of the comics rack and saw the cover, I broke out in a cold sweat. Then my heartbeat accelerated to twice its normal speed, and I couldn't help smiling and shivering with joy. By now, everyone was staring at me like I was some kind of idiot. Later, when I'd read to about the halfway point where GL was supposedly going to be exiled from Green Lantern ship, I became so scared I had to take a peek about the ending to make sure things would turn out okay. Then, when I'd finished the ending, where the two GLs were saying their goodbyes and the world had once again returned to safety, I couldn't help but smile like Jim Gomer Pyle Nabbers does every time he's accomplished something to be proud of. Point four. The original GL was teamed up with the modern day one. 
No other commentary is necessary than that this was the best part of the entire issue. And that's from Mike Flasher, Arlington in Texas. The editorial response to that one is... If we needed a convincer that the first double GL story would achieve classic status along with the first double Flash epic, this is it, says the editor. Do you think that Mike Flasher is a slight, is a misspelled... Mike Flasher? Yeah. But it's possible. Yeah, oh no. Yeah, it's worth, worth thinking about. But I mean, I like the fact the editor there made the reference comparing the double GL to the double Flash. Mm-hmm. I would say it's, it's almost as significant, especially for the long-term impact of the story. Anyway, the final letter. Dear Editor, Being a reader of science fiction as well as comics magazines, I have long puzzled over the relationship of religion to the field of literature. A few SF authors have tried to tie in religion, or put it more aptly, God, with some facet of science fiction. In Corona's Seeking of the Secret of the Origin of the Guardians, I found some similarity between the story and the Bible. Whether this was intentional upon the author's part, I don't know. But in that the earth of the Owens was a veritable paradise, as was the Garden of Eden, and that Krona, in tasting forbidden fruit, so to speak, caused evil to exist, when fell from a place of honour as Adam and Eve, when they were driven from Eden. Is it possible? And that hand, what did it mean? Could that have been the hand of God? Has he created the universe? I don't know. All I can say is that this story made me think. Think deeply. And that's from Leonard Tirado, Saratoga Springs, New York. And the editorial response to that one is, the author did indeed intend the story to be taken as you took it. Editor. Well then. So yes, excitement from the 60s there. Uh, lots of people were thinking it's rather good, as did we. I loved that. really did. Proper, full-on science fiction Silver Age goodness. Mm-hmm. With biblical themes. Yeah, amazing. And who doesn't love a, a GL team-up? As I say, there's been quite a few Flash team-ups already, but this one, I think there's been four. But um, yeah. we've got a few Alan and Hal team-ups in quick succession over the next year or two, so mm-hmm. that'll be good. Look forward to those. Although it was quite funny just imagining uh, Alan and Hal just standing there looking at Alan's ring as all this exposition's been <laughs> spoken to them. Through it. <laughs> because, well, because we saw mm-hmm. what the ring was saying, I wonder if the ring conjured images for them. May have done. I wonder if it sort of projected and they, they got a little holographic sort of 3D show in front of them. Maybe it beamed it straight into their yeah. minds. That'd have been nice if we'd seen that. That's yeah. yeah. That was a cracker. Yep, really enjoyed it. I can't find fault with that at all. Definitely one of the. It's, it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a term I like using because it's, it's, you know, all these things are subjective, but it's definitely one of the best stories I think we've done so far. Yeah. And it's a good way to finish off 2020, because this will be the last mm. show going out this year. We're going to take a short break over the festive period, but we'll be back early in the new year. Fantastic. Thanks to everyone who's joined us so far. We really appreciate your support. Give us some feedback on the socials or email us and all that. Let us know what you're thinking, mm-hmm. if you've got any suggestions or anything you want to say to us. Look after yourselves, everyone. Merry Christmas and all that. Yeah, Happy holidays, everyone. Compliments of the season. Please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at theearthtopodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on Facebook at The Earth 2 Podcast because, as usual, we'll be putting up lots of great panels and tons of bonus material uh, up there, as well as our Instagram, which is also The Earth 2 Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore earth2 because, again, lots of bonus material goes up there and we'll be keeping you uh, entertained over the holidays with some of the bonus material we've got lined up for you. So, yes... You won't be stuck for your Earth 2 fix <laughs> uh, over this period. But yeah, we will return early in the new year. So have a good one when it comes, everyone. And we will speak to you very soon on the, the Earth, Earth 2, 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Alan is firing. His p- I'm doing it. I'm, I'm memming the gesture, listeners, would you believe? <laughs>